what I want to share with you to tonight, we're in lesson 11. It has the potential to be life-changing. And so I'm praying that what I share will not just be head knowledge, because if it's head knowledge, maybe it won't be quite as life-changing, but if it can sink down into your spirit and it can become a revelation, it has the potential, uh, the subject matter has the potential to shift the course of your life. And I, I think set you on a course that you can grow old, you can fulfill the purposes of God, and you can have a lot of great fruit in your life. Would you like to see that happen? To grow old with great fruit. Well, it's been a challenge in my years of pastoring because the things that I teach and see in the Bible, and then the challenge is to live it. It's to read the things in the Bible and then question why do we humans live so beneath that? And why aren't we rising up to live the way Christ calls us to live? And I've struggled with that in my own life. Of, I've shared this before with you, so I won't belabor the thought. But, you know, I believe in healing. But then when you see people die, you question, well, is healing real? And years ago, there was a lady in our church that passed away. And I was really struggling with, man, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I came to the revelation that healing is real if every human on the planet dies of sickness because he's the healer. And it's not the result of healing that we're chasing, it's the healer. And when you catch the healer, how many of you know what comes with the healer? Right? And so my life started changing because a lot of what I thought I was looking for results rather than looking for the person with whom the results were hidden. For in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, and in Him are all the promises of God. And whew, I don't know who that's for. In Him are all the promises of God. And all we have to do is say amen. He's the yes, and we are the amen. I like that. So it gives me great hope. So what I want to share tonight is, I, I said to someone this afternoon, I said, it's going to be challenging. It'll challenge you. I pray it stretches your head a little bit. We're going to start with these two thoughts, we've already talked about them, but they're very important to what I want to say tonight. So we've looked at these in depth. That I have defined revival as a position. It's, it's a place that God is trying to get you to so that His glory can be known. God is always moving us to a position, and that position is His wisdom. He always is trying to move His people into His wisdom. Now my belief is Psalm 91, He who dwells under the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. My belief is, is that the shadow of the Almighty is His wisdom. That He covers us with His wisdom. And I believe without you know, talking about the wisdom of God, but, but I believe that what covered Adam and Eve was his, the glory of His wisdom. And when they rejected His wisdom and chose their own wisdom, they lost what we would call the glory of what covered them. And they no longer dwelt under the secret place of the Most High. And that's a tough place because secret things belong to God, so there's an aspect of following God that He's probably not going to tell you everything. 
Because some things He wants you to trust Him. And I wish God would just tell us all the answers, especially, hey, when are you coming back? And Jesus goes, nobody knows but Dad, and He's not telling anybody. Because there's an aspect that God knows if I download all the wisdom to you, you humans will blow it. So you'll run ahead of me, you'll get ahead of me. So there's an aspect of God's character that as we journey with Him, He downloads the wisdom that is needed in the moment so that my life can progress in Him. And so the number two, we, we came that that sounds good and preaches good, but until your conscience awakens to that, you can serve God your whole life but never really see the fruit of it because you never come under His wisdom. You're trying to live Christianity in your own thinking, your own mind. What does Proverbs say? Leaning to your own understanding, trying to figure God out. So what I want to share with you tonight is I want to talk about your conscience awakening to a thought. And the thought is, if you can understand that God is working to position your life, that, that He's literally thought about you before you got here. And He wants to position you, and now when I say position, I mean geographically. The Bible says that God has determined all the boundaries of the nations of the world. I know we fight over it, we call them the nations, but could you just for a moment factor in that the geography of your life is to be controlled by God? Where you live, where you go, where you travel. Because you're an ambassador of Him and He has a purpose for you. And a lot of times we use God to enhance our own dreams and journeys rather than saying, I exist here for Him. Wherever He wants me to move, I will move, and wherever He wants me to live, I will live. And I have found that when you live that way, supernatural things happen. I often find when people live their life, this is working in ministry for 30 plus years, that a lot of people move their lives based on jobs and opportunities. And God is always in the back pocket. So they move somewhere and get a job and they can't figure out why the job's not helping their family. It was more money. Their marriage still suffers. So they move somewhere else, get another job. They sell a house. They... But when you learn that your life is to be... Now here's, these are my opinions. You don't have to believe this. But that when your life is led by Him, I don't change jobs until He tells me to change the job. And I learn to live in the geographical place that God wants me. Now in my life, my personal testimony is every time I moved because God called me to move, I saw supernatural things happen. When I'm sitting in a red light and God says, go to Oklahoma City, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I was too, it would be too long to get into it. But, but just know that when I went, supernatural things happened. When Robin and I moved to, to Sylvania to plant the church, and we had about four other places that were asking us to come pastor, but we felt like the, the leading of the Spirit was Sylvania, Georgia, a little town in the middle of South Georgia, nowhere. But when we went there, supernatural things happened. Now that's what I want to try to awaken you. Could you believe that God is trying to position you? Even down to the point of where you work, where you live, 
that it's not just some haphazard thing, that He has intentions for you. He has intentions for your children. He knows your future. Do you believe that? He knows your future. Now, if you can ever grab hold of this, and this is the challenge, that God wants more for your future than you do. We think that God's holding back. We have to beg Him. But, But my belief is His wisdom has greater desires for you than you have for yourself. He wants you to be in His perfect will, living a fruitful life, probably more so than we really sit around and think about. So let's go to this scripture. It will seemingly have nothing to do with the topic, but it will. We'll tie it together. It, for Pentecostal people, is our home base. Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power. How many of you believe, obviously, God's not thinking weak people? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now what I want to focus on is I want to focus on the power, the witness, and everywhere. That God is so big that He's thinking about every human on the planet everywhere and what God is attempting to do is to put His kids in the middle of everywhere so that His power can be known. In other words, if you're a believer, your life is on display so that the world may know the reality of God. And the job, you may be saying, I hate this job. I loathe this job. I don't know why God won't give me a better job. I could agree with you on that if you're talking emotions or more money. But when you realize maybe the everywhere you have a job that you hate is because God needs people there to witness His power and they're going to do it through you. But if you're not careful, you'll only think the job is for money, car payments, and house payments, and you loathe going to work every day. But when you get up and go, I may not make a lot and I may not really like it, but this is my mission field. And when I walk in the door, the glory of God and the favor of God and the life of God and the freedom of God and everybody else may get fired, but I'm the one that God has positioned here and I'm not going to worry about it. Because if they do fire me, God's got something better for me. Because God is moving you in relation to His overall kingdom purpose, not in relation to your personal agendas. I'm not saying He's mad at us for having personal agendas, but maybe a lot of it is I'm living personal agenda rather than living to be the power of His witness. And so it really makes us rethink what this is about. That working at Home Depot, you could literally see miracles because what we're talking revival, right? But when we talk revival, we think a church service every night of the week for five hours. And I believe that when God is thinking revival, He's thinking, I'm trying to take one of my kids and shove them into everywhere so that my power will be witnessed through their life. And in that witness, revival will break out among them. So you could be a teacher in a school and literally God has planted you there, but because you're planted there, you have favor and all the other teachers come to you to talk to you, to ask questions because they need help and you have become the light in the middle of the darkness. 
Because God, God has people everywhere. Now, if you could ever fathom that God could use your life to save another human being, that really challenges us. He, he could use your life to save a soul. And because we Christians get very introverted and very selfish, God exists for my glory and my pleasure rather than I exist for His glory and His pleasure. So that this, you have to think out of the box here. You could have a wonderful job, get fired, and think the devil did that and ruined my life. And God's like, no, the reason I had them let you go, there's a handful of people over here that don't know me and they're in a mess and I'm going to use you to go over here to this new place and you're going to be my witness there and I'm going to display my power through you there. So don't worry about what's going on. Just go where I'm sending you. But I'm bitter because I lost a job I love and I'm over here to a job I hate. And God's like, I'm in the whole thing. I'm trying to get you somewhere you wouldn't go on your own. And so if I can learn to think this way, maybe Christians would see more of His power because we often say, why don't we see the power of God today? And a lot of times I think because we're narcissistically selfish. Because oftentimes we're not really thinking that I exist for the salvation of other people. I exist so that others may come to know Him. Now I want to focus on this word witness. Now, like I said kind of jokingly, it is our home base for Pentecostals. But the witness has been a concept in the mind of God from eternity past. It shows up here in a very demonstrative way, but His goal has always been that His people would be His witness. Always. So what I would like to do, and what time did not permit, I could have spent several weeks on it, so I've had to just kind of handpick the, the stories that will prove and show the point in the Scriptures. So let's go to look at what the witness means. I've taught on this in the past, so I'm not going to teach on it long, but just a thought. that What God is looking for is He's looking for human beings that are His children that represent Him through time. Legally, they represent Him, His kingdom government. Historically, they become testimonies. Uh, if you want to know how that plays out, do you remember when they were going to Jericho and they were going to take down the walls of Jericho? And, and she said, Rahab said, we've heard about you for years. Y'all are the people that destroyed the Egyptians. So when we serve God, our life has a historical testimony of His reality. Anybody got a history with God? of His power, you could stand up and say, let me tell you what God has done for me over the history of my life. Well, that, that's part of being a witness. And in the ethical sense, it's the passion within which we live, we would die for it. So that's just the witness. Now, let's, let's run through them. All of them are going to be the same, but I'm going to give you some scriptures so every box will look the same with the exception of the story. So what my premise has been in this revival is that revival is God's positioning. And when we're positioned where God wants us to be, His government is in charge, His expectations are, are put upon us, His purposes are put upon us, and the results are astounding. 
So if you want to see results in a very clear, fruitful way, then we would have to say, am I in the place of God's planting? Because God positions me, uh, we, we, I call it position, but it's a planting. And by that, I mean a planting geographically because of His wisdom. It, in other words, Adam and Eve did not choose the garden. It starts out with God building it, making it, designing it, and then planted Him in it. And oftentimes, we're out here going, God, I want to move the walls and I want you to build my kingdom. And the Lord's like, no, the way we started this thing is it's my mind and my wisdom and I plant you in it. And when I plant you in my wisdom... Uh, without teaching the book of Genesis, when I plant you in my wisdom, all of your needs are met. You will lack nothing. I'm Jehovah Jireh. Everything you need, everything you would desire will be found in my wisdom. So we start the Bible out with two human beings being positioned in a garden. Now look at the result of what happened when they were in the position. The Lord God, this is Genesis 3, after their rebellion... The Lord God said, look, human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it, and then they'll live forever? Now let's go back. As long as they're inside this position of His government and wisdom, what happens? They live forever. As long as they're in His wisdom and they trust His wisdom, they get to live forever. That is a profound thought. You would think anybody would take that deal. That is a great deal. I can live forever, fruitful forever, and God's like forever. As long as you stay in the place I planted you, you don't move yourself out of it, and you trust my wisdom, you can live forever. I give you a tree to eat from forever. What, what a great deal. But because we're so brilliantly stupid... We said, I don't want to be planted where God wants me planted, and I don't want to be under His wisdom. So they eat the fruit, and when they do, God actually has to tell us, well, I have to banish them out, and now they're outside of my wisdom. So when we say, why all this evil going on in the world today, it's because humans have moved outside of the wisdom of God. It's the same with LGBTQ. It's not that... You know, you can't say a girl can't love a girl or a guy can't love a guy. We're human beings. We're, you know, we, we have feelings and emotions. But if you bring the wisdom of God into it, the wisdom of God says, well, this is my wisdom, hence it won't work. And so that becomes the wisdom of God becomes very narrow-minded. Because what was the temptation of the devil? The temptation of the devil in the middle of God's wisdom was, well, really you could be like God if you would eat this other tree. And he kind of made her feel like that she could have more if she trusted herself rather than trusted God's wisdom. And the Bible calls that deception. So the original deception that began this whole thing was the thinking that my wisdom is, is the thing that God is shortchanging me, so I need to get my wisdom so that I'm not shortchanged. In other words, I can't trust God because He may shortchange me here, but if I'm in charge of myself... I can amass my own money, my own wealth, my own thinking. All right, so we go to the second one. The second placing of God. 
Now in all of these placings, what you're going to see is they're going to become a witness. God is going to use the people that He places geographically and they're going to be a witness for His glory. So God takes eight people out of the entire planet and His wisdom builds a boat. Noah built it, but built it within the wisdom of God. And in the wisdom of God, God planted that family inside the boat. As long as they stay in the boat, they're they're healthy and live. As long as they build the boat the way it's supposed to be, they float. So the moral of the story is not, does God kill all the humans? The moral of the story is, can a man trust God's wisdom and what happens when they do? And I'll simply share this. I don't know where you all sit in your own personal journeys right now, but you're here because a man trusted the wisdom of God. Because we are the result of him going, well, I guess I'll trust this wisdom here. I don't know if I've ever seen a flood, and I don't know if I can get my wife and kids on the boat, but you're all here because a man decided to trust God's wisdom versus the shouts of the world that, acted like he was an idiot and and tore him apart. And, you know, he's trying to be a preacher of righteousness in the middle of the world, which I feel like we're kind of there again, as it was in the days of Noah. But if you trust God's wisdom, guess what? You need not worry about anything. In the middle of our economy falling apart, trust His wisdom. I know when bread is like $19,000 and milk is a half of your mortgage, trust His wisdom. His wisdom is you can never outgive God. God will always bless givers and pour back on you. Just be a giver in the middle of hardship. It's His wisdom. Listen to what God says. Genesis 7, this is about Noah. And everything that breathed and lived on land died, and God wiped out every living thing on earth. Verse 23 of Genesis 7. The people, the livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky. All were destroyed. But the only people who survived were Noah and the people in the boat. Where was God's wisdom? It was in the boat. And because they got in God's wisdom, they survived. So if we're not careful as we approach what we would call the apocalypse of the end of the world, we can get in our own wisdom. And we just need to stay in God's wisdom here. But again, I want to say, as long as you're where God wants you to be, you survive, if that's a boat or if it's a garden. If you're in a garden, you get eternal life. And if you're in a boat, you survive a tragedy. The next one is the land of Goshen. It is the most powerful to me story of of a lot of the Old Testament stories. The land of Goshen is where the Israelites lived during the time that all of the plagues are coming on Egypt with Pharaoh. The story goes that Moses shows up, says, God told me to tell you to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, "Eh, I'm not doing that. And so a plague starts coming. And then another plague comes. And then another plague comes. And finally, there's a big plague of flies. And I love what it says because God's people were living in the land of Goshen uh, where they, I guess their camp was in, in Egypt. And listen, in the middle of hell of God's judgment upon Pharaoh, water turning to blood, cattle dying, frogs, gnats. Listen to what he said. Genesis 7. Or it should be, I'm sorry, Exodus, I think it is. Uh, But this time I will spare the region of Goshen 
where my people live. No flies will be found there. And then you will know that I'm the Lord and that I'm present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. And this miraculous sign is going to happen tomorrow. Now, if you wanted a miraculous sign to happen where you wouldn't have flies, where do you think you would need to be tomorrow? Goshen. You, you don't need to be running around in Temple, Georgia, thinking, well, I've got the same God as everybody else. If you wanted to be spared, you needed to make sure you showed up in Goshen tomorrow. So what I want to get out of that is that, that many times... God is trying to get us somewhere to spare us a lot of problems. And we don't want to go where God wants us to go. We don't want to do what God wants us to do. But what a powerful testimony. And I love the way this word witness, God says, I'm going to make a clear distinction between my people and everybody else. That almost sounds arrogant. But I would ask myself as well as you, do you believe at your work and with the people that know you that there is a clear distinction that you're God's people? Does your life smell of God? Is the favor of God upon you? Because we, we must know that it's not arrogant for me to be that way. It's the way God intended it. He wants the world to see a clear distinction between those who trust His wisdom and those who don't. And that's what God is going for. The next we come to the wilderness. Just to show you that sometimes it's, uh, the planting and placing of God is not always romantic. God is not always out to give you castles and kingdoms. Sometimes God is in the middle of the mess, but if in the middle of the mess you'll just trust Him, you'll see His power. And I think this is a lot of Christians we think in the middle of the wilderness that we're going through it and the devil's putting us through it and we don't understand that in the middle of the wilderness if you'll just trust God's wisdom, God's got you covered. God has you covered in the middle of the wilderness. Why? Because as long as they were in the wilderness and, and stayed under His wisdom, their life worked. Even though they were circling for 40 years, listen to the wilderness. For 40 years I led you through the wilderness. That's His wisdom. Yet your clothes and sandals did not wear out. Come on, somebody. That's better than Nike. You ate no bread, you drank no wine or any other alcohol, which ought to tell you something. 40 years in the desert with 3 million people and nobody had tequila? Like, how did you do this? How did you make this? You, you surely had to get drunk on a Friday night. God's like, no, I'm so powerful, you don't even need alcohol to take your woes away. You don't need some man-made product to take it away. My glory is so powerful that even in the middle of hell, in the middle of the wilderness, if you all will trust me, I'll revolutionize you so much that you won't have to depend on the things of the world. And then he said this, but he provided for you so you would know that he's the Lord. Sometimes God is pushing your life because you need the revelation. Sometimes He's pushing you to places that are uncomfortable because you need to know that He's in charge of your life. Uh, back to Sylvania when I was there pastoring, I'd, we were there 17 years, but at about year eight, I'm whining. And I, I'm a gifted whiner when I talk to my dad. 
And so I was calling him whining. I was just like, Dad, I just don't know. I just, these people here, and I don't know if we're going to make it, and we're in this old trailer, and I just, you know, I'm just whining. One day, I'm thinking one day, one day I'm going to get out of here. One day I'm going to go, and I love what he said. He said, Son, I'll give you the best advice I can. He said, you just need to live in Sylvania like you're there for the rest of your life until you die and learn to love it. And when God's ready for you to move, he'll tell you. Well, I hung up mad. Dear Lord, I thought he could at least encourage me. But I hung up and I, I, I took a revelation because the revelation was I was seeing it as a wilderness and he said, you just need to learn to live there until God sends you somewhere else and learn to love it. And I hung up and I apologized to God and I told God I was sorry, I was negative. I put a smile on my face and said, well, as long as I'm here, I'm going to live here. I'm going to give it all I got like it's the rest of my life. And I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. Why? Because I believe even in the middle of what feels like a wilderness, I can see miracles happen. I can see His provision. I can watch Him. And I'll say this. I think there's a a romantic thing that when other people know God because of you, but there's something really special when you know Him because of what you've walked through. The fiery furnace. The end goal is that they were a witness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace together. Throws them in and who would have ever thought that that could be the position of God. But because they were positioned in God, they trusted God. This thing called the fiery furnace became a position where the wisdom of God was on display and an entire nation shifted because in the middle of what seemed like hell, the fiery furnace that was set up by the evil king became the location of God's wisdom. And they said, well, I think I see a fourth man in the fire. Come on, man, that ought to make you shout. Well, look at what he said, Daniel chapter 3. And then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not even touched them. How could that be? Because they were positioned in the wisdom of God. You look, in the middle of a hellacious world, if you'll stay in God's wisdom, not even a hair. That's awesome. Y'all are quiet tonight. That excites me. Not even a hair on their head was singed. Their clothing was not even scorched. They didn't even smell a smoke. Because they were in the wisdom of God. Everybody's amazed at it. And then Nebuchadnezzar, this is what he says. Watch, he praises their God. Praise me to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. Do you see, because they were in a place that looked like hell, but they trusted the wisdom of God, we're not bowing down to your king We will only serve our God. And even if we die in the fiery furnace, we don't care because we know who He is. And they were under the wisdom of God. But that wisdom they lived under, rather than them pouting and whining, oh, why does this always happen to us? Nothing ever goes our way. I can't believe we serve the Lord and God lets this happen to us. They just went in with their shoulders back and go, I don't know what everybody's thinking, but I know God's on my side and whatever happens, God's in charge and they come out without smelling like smoke, and the entire place uproars. Because then he goes and passes a law, you ought to go read it, that everybody's got to serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's powerful. That is powerful. Well, the lion's den. I'm trying to give you places of God's wisdom. 
the lion's den. You know the story. Daniel goes in the lion's den. He said, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the, the living God, Daniel 6, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves His people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel didn't go in the lion's den, poor pitiful me. I can't believe my life doesn't work. All I'm doing is praying. I can't believe I'm praying and God lets this happen to me. Here I am serving you and they're going to throw me in here. I can't believe it. I don't even think it pays to serve you. My life doesn't work. Nothing goes my way. They just tossed that old boy in. He went to sleep that night. They woke up the next day. The lions, I, I would love to talk to one of them because I don't know what they're thinking about the wisdom of God because they're probably thinking, man, this, look, this guy looks pretty awesome. It's barbecue 101. And then all of a sudden, none of their mouths work. They got TMJ overnight. But the beauty of it was is, is that Daniel was in God's wisdom. Because you could chunk a bunch of other people, and if you read that story, it obviously, it wasn't that the lion's den was some miraculous place because the next of the story is they toss everybody else and they eat them. So it's not like, like there was magic over the lion's den. It's that, it, that they were positioned in God's wisdom. Now grab this. This is what I said, it takes a revelation. If you can grab hold that if you can position yourself in God's wisdom, no Weapon formed against you will prosper. Now I know weapons may come. They may come at you wide open, but you got to wake up and go, I don't care. It's not going to prosper over me. It has no hold on me, no power over me. I thank you, Lord God Almighty, that your power will be displayed. Not because I have so much faith, because faith, even as a mustard seed, can move a mountain. I trust your wisdom. And when you trust His wisdom, buckle up. He will blow your mind. And if you're not careful, you'll get prideful and think it's your faith that did it. Oh, my faith did it. No, you'll get prideful. It just takes about that much faith. That much. That much. Little mustard seed faith. But the mustard seed faith is not what causes it to happen. It's that the mustard seed faith puts me under His wisdom to trust Him. And when you trust His wisdom, big things happen. So don't beat yourself up that you need more faith. You just need to trust His wisdom. And watch what He'll do. I feel like I'm preaching. Mm. Well, now this is where it gets interesting. Because now it's just a place. And this is where the home base is for us because we're all the way back to the day of Pentecost. And Jesus said, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. I wish He would have given us... You know what? If He would have given us an address, we would have made it a monument and a memorial and a God. We would have sold t-shirts. We would have had all kind of campouts there. But I wanted to bring you to, to the thought that um, who was filled with power that day? Just the people who were there. His power's big. And, and what I saw was like 500 plus people are coming up out of the grave on the resurrection day and thousands followed Him. But 
But it's only 120 that got the revelation, I better be in the place God wants me to be. I mean, they may have trusted His miracles, they've seen His miracles, but how could we go from thousands following Him to about a motley crew of 120? Because what God wants you to know is that He's not obligated to pour out His power on everybody. He's just obligated to pour it out when you're in the place where He's going to pour. You need to be where He's going to pour. Now, I'm not here to promote my church or any church per se, but this ought to really make you think twice about getting up on a Sunday and going, I'm going to go to the place so if God pours it out wherever He's planted me and I call it church, whether it's here, Chapel Hill, or wherever people go, I'm going to get up and go because that's where God has planted my life and I'm going to believe that when I show up, if He pours His power out, I'm going to be there. Versus just sitting there in your bed going, well, He's a big God. He can pour His power whenever. And I say, yes, He can. He can pour it anywhere He wanted, but He only poured it out in the house that day. Why wouldn't you pour it out in all the street? He said, I'm not going to pour it out in the street. I've already determined to tell you to go wait and sit in that place. And when you get in that place, I'll show up when I'm good and ready. But when I show up, you better be there. Now that ought to really interest you to think this through about the term revival. Most people who enjoy revival come after the fact. God does something amazing and then it's everybody says, oh God, you got to go. And then everybody starts running in the door. But let me know, I'll tell you this, all of us that get to enjoy those revivals, you better believe there was probably some motley group of people that were there on day one when God poured it out. That prayed it down, shouted it down, believed it down, and paid a high price for what everybody else wants to run in and get a hold of. So there is something very profound about showing up. Show up. I'm going to ask Michael to come on up. We're going to spend a few moments just worshiping. And then the final one is this. There is something highly supernatural about being planted in a church. And by that I mean, yes, we can get online and find the best one, find the best preacher, the best music. I'll help you there. We're all human and every church has got issues. So the best thing to pray is, God, where do you want me to be? Where do you want my life? Because wherever God decides to put you, if it's here at Believers, I, I pray I'll be a good shepherd for you. But wherever it's at, Lord, where do you want me to be? Because when you're there, results happen. When you are where God planted you, now there's a problem with that. I'll give you one scripture, 1 Corinthians 12. But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part where He wants it. Uh, that's talking about the physical body, but it's in connection to the church body. My belief is, is that God is trying to plant us where He wants us. Why? He knows you better than anything. Why? Because He's going to put you near people that irritate the hound out of you. Why? Because He's trying to grow you up. He's trying to mature you. Here's the problem. The thought and then four P's of revival. Revival is the results that come from God's people being planted in God's position so that His power may be on display. My belief is the reason a lot of us don't see revival today is we can't get planted in a position. We're nomads and vagabonds and gypsies. 
We run from church to church, place to place, looking for some romantic thing. And you can't keep people around long enough, planted long enough to really see the glory of God. Because we're human. We hurt each other's feelings. We can disappoint each other. I can let you down. Uh, we're all human. So I want to give you the four P's of revival. This is where I said it takes a revelation. To have revival, you have to have people who are positioned by God, planted in a local house, and they'll see His power. So I'll ask you, you're a Wednesday night crowd. Most of you probably are. But are you planted here? Do you feel like God sent you here? Because if you just come because you like my preaching or the music, that's great. But when the rubber meets the road and things aren't going well, you'll, you'll hunt for somewhere else. You'll look for other places. You'll sleep in. But when you go, no, I need to be positioned and planted, and when I am, I receive power. Now there's something very supernatural about being planted because you can't run when you want to run. You can't leave when you want to leave. You just have to go, God, I'm here till you're done with me. And I know He can be. He can send people other places. I, I, have, I have no problem with that. But I think a lot of times people leave prematurely because they uproot themselves rather than getting replanted by God. They just don't like it. They're tired. These things must happen in your life. When you come as a person and you say, God, I want to be positioned in your wisdom and planted in the geographical location of where you want me in your kingdom, I can expect your power. Stand up with me if you will and let me pray for us.